0: But since he's from FCA, which is Fellowship of Christian Athletes, right, uh, I, I got an announcement this morning that a, a lot of you might know, maybe I think he is more well-known than not. But I, I got noticed this morning from our funeral home in Plainview that uh, Ray Dor passed away. He was our athletic director in Plainview for a very long time, and uh, a lot of you, if you're in athletics at all in northeast nebraska over the last 70 years you probably knew who he was and so uh, services will be pending with ashburn funeral home i just wanted to let you know that in case any of you if that meant anything to any of you and you'd like to come along too as well but sorry tim to sure. <laughs> get that announcement that i missed there i just happened to get in the in the break time uh, but we have a guest speaker this morning uh, tim Warshall is here with us again with his wife to share with us a message uh, I feel like with FCA we should like have the smoke in the tunnel, right? You can, maybe we'll be happier than the game yesterday, you don't know, so yeah. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> you like you so much. Maybe. Yeah, I know. Thank you so much. Um, good morning, Calvary Bible Church. A lot more faces here uh, than the last time that I was able to be here, so that's awesome to see. Um, before we jump in, uh, I'd like to start by reading from today's passage. If you would open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to read verses 12 through 20. 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20. And it says this, it says, all things are lawful for me. Shall I, shall I then take a member of a Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to, to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own for you have been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly God, first of all, thank you for the the blue sunshine this morning or the the blue skies uh, and the sunshine. Lord, we come before you this morning, opening your word, asking that you speak truth into our hearts um, of a topic that might be a little bit difficult. Um, So I pray right now that you would strip me away from any agenda that I might have in my heart, Lord, that you would speak your word, use your spirit to speak your word through me, and that um, as we come out the other side, we can know more about who you are. Know more about your grace. And as the song we just heard, know that you are with us and that we need you every hour. We need you. I pray that you just uh, be with our time this morning, praise you and glorify your gracious name. Amen. Um, So, yeah, um, hello again. Uh, I, I recognize a lot of faces. You might recognize mine. I've been here couple of times, but there are some faces that I don't recognize, so I'll reintroduce myself. Uh, my name is Tim Worstel, and I am the area representative for Fellowship of Christian Athletes here in Northeast Nebraska. Uh, my footprint includes Antelope, Madison, and Pierce County, uh, so I get to serve coaches that are in that footprint, including the coaches that are here in Neely, Nebraska. Uh, have yet to meet any of them, um, but we're working on that. Peter and I have been in discussion. Uh, Pastor Peter and I have been in discussion with getting together with some. Uh, there is a huddle that meets up at uh, Summerlin that I've gotten to know, a couple of the coaches that are part of that. Uh, and we have um, a couple of huddles in uh, Pierce and also in uh, Plainview and, and Norfolk that are starting up this fall, uh, some new ones. So, um, yeah, I am excited to, to be here with you this morning. Um, but I want to be straightforward and honest upfront. Uh, Peter gave um, a really good warning for next week. Uh, The warning for this week isn't as far off. Um, I am going to be talking about some pretty hard topics this morning. So as parents, if you want to discern whether you want to keep your children here uh, to to hear what we have to share this morning, that is up to you. Um, But I wanted to kind of give you a fair warning So, uh, yeah, last week you were in the same passage, uh, and Pastor Peter delivered these seven bold, firm truths, that we have been redeemed, we have been united, we have been rescued, therefore we are one with Christ. Our bodies are important. Our bodies are members of Christ, and we should not rip our bodies from Christ. We also heard about what Scripture says about how how we are to view and treat our own bodies for those reasons. Uh, This week, like I said, we're still camped out in the same passage, but we're going to focus on what the Apostle Paul is talking about when he talks about sexual immorality. But first, a disclaimer. Although I've been asked by Pastor Peter to speak to you this morning on this topic, I want you to understand that I hold no spiritual authority over you beyond delivering what the Holy Spirit has called me or has led me to say in these next moments. And what I mean by that is that I'm an elder at Life Point Church in Norfolk. That's where I've been called to hold spiritual authority but not Calvary Bible Church. Um, That is Pastor Peter and your elders who hold that authority. So if there is any conviction in your heart over anything that we talk about today, that's also from the Holy Spirit. My intent is not to display any condemnation as a matter of fact the same author of our passage the apostle paul in in romans chapter 8 verses 1 through 4 he says this he says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in christ from the law of sin and death for god has done what the law weakened by flesh could not do By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So if we are truly believers in Christ, none of what the Bible says is sin condemns us. We have been forgiven, yes, and amen. But we still have sin in our lives. And one of the roles of the Holy Spirit, of who Jesus talked about in John chapter 16, he said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, then the helper, the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the advocate, he will not come to you. But if I go I will send him to you. So one of the Spirit's roles is to convict us of our sins. And what is sin? Well, I mean, we could jump back to the Ten Commandments, I'm sure, and walk through those if we wanted to. But I think in a more broad sense, sin is missing God's mark. Now, I have a friend who who likes to hunt. Any hunters in here? yeah okay. I have a friend. I mean, he really, really likes to hunt. I think there's three or four deer heads in his living room. Um, his preferred method of hunting is with a bow and arrow. He has, for many, many years, had to practice and practice and practice and shoot at targets over and over and over to hone in his ability to shoot a deer or an elk, which he tried to do in Colorado a couple years back. Um, I guess that's the benefit of archery, though, uh, is that you can reuse your arrows time after time. It's it's hard to retrieve a bullet, from what I understand. Um, but he's he's given me the opportunity to uh, to try my hand at archery, and let me tell you, I was not successful. Um, I don't even think I came close to hitting the target, or even reaching it, for that matter. You see, the the term sin is actually an archery term that indicates that the archer has missed the mark. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I mean, we've all sinned, every last one of us in this room. And not only have we missed the mark or the bullseye of God's glory, we didn't even reach the target our arrows fall short. And it's, it's the role, not, not the job or the duty, but the very nature of the Holy Spirit to convict. And that, friend, is a good thing. Conviction doesn't come from a pastor, it doesn't come from an elder, and it especially doesn't come from a guest speaker such as myself. But I vehemently Encourage you, if you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, to reach out to your pastor, to your elders, who they will come alongside of you to help. So how do we reconcile Romans 8.1 with 1 Corinthians 6.12? If there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, then why isn't everything allowed? Well, the Apostle Paul answers that right away in verse 12 by making two statements. Not everything is beneficial, and I will not be mastered by anything. Being in Christ Jesus means that we have a spiritual rebirth. But we are still here in our flesh bodies, as Pastor Peter talked about last week. So let me reiterate these two points before we move along. Sin is not beneficial and sin will master you. The type of sin that seems to have a more public disgrace is sexual immorality of which is talked about in verse 18. And I will define that in a minute, but what I mean by uh, the public disgrace is that, re- you know, read your headlines. You know, how many sports figures, politicians, even prominent leaders in the church have fallen short in this realm? Sexual immorality is a broad term. I get it. But again, verse 18 in our text exhort- exhorts us to flee from it. Is anyone here who remembers those old Godzilla movies from a long time ago? Yeah, and and, and, I mean the one where it's obvious that there's some guy in this rubber suit rampaging through a a cardboard scaled down version of downtown Tokyo. I'm not talking about the more recent, you know, computer generated, uh, horribly written box office flops that have come out over the recent years. I remember they would show the monster walking down the street, crushing building after building, and then cut away to someone who would point up and say, look, Godzilla! You know, as if no one else noticed this 30-story giant lizard walking through town. Um, and then they would fo- it would be followed up by a woman who'd put her hands on her face and scream, Oh! Ah! and run for her life she would flee for her life now beyond the absurdity of a fake looking giant fire breathing lizard monster the movies were filmed in Japanese and dubbed into English so scenes involving dialogue never really kind of matched up the movements of the characters mouths with what they were speaking but the terror of the good people of Japan did translate They would flee for their lives, despite what was happening to their homes and to their city. If only there was someone in our lives who would point and say, Look, sexual immorality, as it rears its ugly head so that we too can flee from it. But unfortunately, its temptation is more subtle. Verse 18 continues by saying that every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Now, that doesn't mean that sexual immorality doesn't have its outside consequences. Others are affected by sexual immorality, and forgiveness and restoration needs to be made even if relationships are broken due to the sin. I think the reason that it seems that sexual sin is is so much more prominent in our world is because the dominoes that fall when it's found out. And when it is found out, it doesn't take long for word to spread, especially in the church. So what is sexual immorality according to the Bible? Well, one uh, one website that I went to as I was researching and looking into this is a, a great resource called gotquestions.org. If there's any question that you have about the Bible, it's simple. You go to gotquestions.org, type in your question, and it'll give you scriptural references as to what you're asking about. But this is what they define. This is how they say of what sexual immorality is. In the New Testament, the word is often translated at translated sex, sexual immorality, is porneia. And it means a surrendering of sexual purity. From this Greek word, we get the word, the English word, pornography, stemming from the concept of selling off. Sexual immorality is the selling off of sexual purity, and it involves any type of sexual expression outside of the boundaries Of a biblically defined marriage relationship, which I'm pretty sure you're going to talk about next week. Which, according to the words of Jesus in Matthew 19, he said, This, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So anything, anything that is outside of God's design for marriage is sexual immorality. Period. I am elated to work for an organization that takes this very seriously. This is what FCA's Statement of Faith reads on this particular issue. It says that we believe God's design for sexual intimacy is to be expressed only within the context of marriage, that God created man and woman to complement and complete each other. God instituted marriage between one man and one woman as the foundation of the family and the basic structure of human society. For this reason, we believe that marriage is exclusively the union of one man and one woman. And this statement, the statement is based in Scripture. Genesis 2, 24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Matthew 19, 4-6, which we just read a minute ago. And also Mark 10, 6-9, they account the same story and Jesus quoting from the same passage in Genesis. In Romans 1:26 and 27, Scripture says, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women who were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And then 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality? Now, to be clear, FCA is not going to turn away anyone who may be struggling with sexual immorality. But anyone, coach, volunteer, athlete, staff, board member, anyone who desires to lead or be a leader with FCA must agree and live in agreement to this and the other statements of faith. And we will absolutely, 100%, walk alongside anyone who desires redemption from any sin, whatever it may be, just to bring them closer to Jesus. So let's take some time and look at some Specific sexual immoralities. Starting with the one that is probably the most in our face these days. That's homosexuality. Now the Bible does not mince words when it comes to homosexuality. Genesis 19, we read the story of Sodom. In which two angels visit Lot, who was Abraham's nephew. But the men of the city bombard Lot's home because they wanted to know them, which is the Bible's way of saying, of saying having sexual relations with them. The city is destroyed because of their actions. We also read in the book of Leviticus, written by Moses, that in chapter 18, that you shall not lie with a male as with a woman, as it is, as it is an abomination. And then Leviticus 20 also says, if a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. But it's worth noting, I want to make a strong point of this. It's worth noting that homosexuality is not the only sin that the Bible calls an abomination. Other sexual sins are called the same in the book of Leviticus. And the Proverbs call pride deceitful speech and murder equally abominable to god there is no hierarchy when it comes to sin but as with all of scripture we need to view these these texts in the scope of the gospel in that there can be redemption and rest and restored relationships for those who are dealing with this sin the gospel should always be the first thing that we as believers present to anyone who is outside of the faith or dealing with any sin, or ourselves for that matter. We cannot expect those who do not know Jesus to behave like someone who knows Jesus. So let us introduce them to Jesus through our words and through our deeds. Remember Romans 5.8. Says, but God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's right. We were sinners, still are. And Christ died for us anyway. So let us remember the gospel every day for ourselves and let us show that same love to others that Christ showed to us, not condoning. But not condemning either. A problem comes, though, when some churches and denominations have decidedly agreed to ignore the scriptures that speak against homosexuality to the point of not just condoning, but celebrating this particular sinful lifestyle. There are fellow believers within those churches and denominations that are standing up for what scripture says and not just joining culture. Yet, you know, as a matter of fact, in your community of Neely, there's a body of believers that were part of a main, major mainline denomination. This denomination chose to affirm the LGBTQ lifestyle and the local church here in your town decided to disassociate from that denomination. You see, this isn't just a somewhere-out-there issue, but it's affecting our communities. In two weeks, there's going to be a pride celebration in Norfolk. This sexual immorality is real, and it's here. But in reality, it's been here all along. It's not anything new. I mean, the story of Lot In the city of Sodom, occurred around 1850 BC, almost 2,000 years before Jesus would lay down his life for sinners. Another term that's thrown around regarding homosexuality is the LGBTQ agenda. Now, I don't deny that there is a push in culture to normalize and justify this lifestyle. But I think the agenda is much greater than just that. I think that it's greater than just this particular sexual immorality. I think it includes all of sin. Across media and in culture, we see the normalization of all kinds of sexual immorality, including pornography, the the second sexual immorality I'd like to talk about. From sitcoms making light, of pornography addictions to television series and movies that show explicit depictions of sexual activity seeing sex has become normalized add to that the ability <coughs> excuse me the ability to access an unending stream of pornographic images and depictions right here in our pocket some statistics To share with you this morning, pornographic sites receive more website traffic in the United States than Twitter, Instagram, Netflix, Pinterest, and LinkedIn combined. Studies show that most young people are exposed to pornography by age 13. According to a nationally representative survey of United States teens, 84.4% 84.4% of 14 to 18 year old boys, males, have viewed pornography. I was one of those boys. I remember being exposed to pornography before the age of 13. I had a friend who built a small fort on the side of his house, and one day while hanging out after riding bikes or something, he, he showed me this magazine. Now, I'll spare any details. But needless to say, it sure had an effect on me for some time. But thanks be to Jesus. It's not something that I struggle with today. But I can empathize with those that do. And many of those 14 to 18-year-old boys have grown into men that are addicted, including men in the church. One thing I want to be clear on here, though, is that pornography is not only a male sexual immorality issue. The same survey I just mentioned showed that 57% of 14 to 18-year-old girls have viewed pornography. But it goes beyond websites and magazines to series of shady fictional books that graphically describe sexual behavior outside of God's design for marriage, and it's targeted directly to women. Pornography has far reaching effects. According to the website, Fight the New Drug, which is a non-religious, non-legislative, non-profit organization dedicated to educating people about the dangers of pornography. These are some of the the effects that it has. It can affect the brain just like drugs. It can become an escalating behavior. It can normalize sexual objectification. It can impact mental health and fuel loneliness. It can promote sexual violence and advance sex trafficking. It can be difficult to quit. And it also has had lasting and devastating effects on marriages. So what does the Bible say about pornography? After all, Playboy and the internet weren't things in biblical times, right? Well, God's word has plenty to say. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 says this, "'Do not love the world or things in the world. "'If anyone loves the world, "'the love of the Father is not in him.'" For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and pride of life. It is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And We read in Matthew chapter 5. Again, Jesus says, we met." Even read this before, but I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Second Peter two nineteen. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption, for whatever overcomes a person to that he is enslaved. But God's word also tells us what to do. Philippians 4, chapter 8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. The last one that I would like to talk about today is adultery. Simply put, adultery is having sexual relations with someone who is not your spouse, defined by the biblical standard. So, in another way, these other immoralities we've discussed also fall under this classification. But you don't have to be married to commit adultery. The Bible has clear definitions for adultery. Starting in Proverbs 6, 32, he who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. And of course, the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, 14, you shall not commit adultery. But Jesus walks it out even further. Again, in Matthew 5, 27 through 28. He said, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Adultery happens Outside of the body, yes. But according to Jesus, it happens in the heart, too. But there is forgiveness available here as well. Look at another time when Jesus confronts adultery. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What would you say? This, they said, to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. But Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up, And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Now, I heard someone say that when Jesus knelt down and started writing in the dirt, he was writing the names of the religious leaders' girlfriends. That's what would have made them drop their stones and walk away. But notice what Jesus does not say. He doesn't say, oh, it's okay, sweetie, or I know you didn't mean it. No, he told her to go and sin no more. He acknowledges the sexual immorality and tells her that she is not condemned. But also, he tells her to repent and turn away from her lifestyle. And this is where I want to wrap things up today. We began with reading Romans 8.1. That same word, condemnation, shows up there. Those who are in Christ Jesus will not be condemned. But through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we are called to still repent and turn from our sin. And then as the Spirit continues to move in our hearts, changing us, calling us out of that sin to become more like Jesus, then we can claim what Jesus has done through His sacrifice. And look, even looking back a few verses in our First Corinthians chapter six text today, if we look at verse eleven, it says, "And such were some of you, but you were washed, and you were sanctified, and you were justified by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Such were." some of you so if something struck a chord with you today first and foremost i encourage you to reach out to your pastor and to your elders they are here to shepherd you not to condemn you it's a great first step to flee from sexual immorality let's pray God this is such a heavy topic. And Lord you're specific in your word about how you would want us to live because you know our hearts. You know how we fail. You know how we falter. But thank you Jesus for your sacrifice that you didn't come to condemn but you came to restore. You came to to show us a new and better way to have that right relationship with God through your sacrifice. Lord, I pray that these words wouldn't fall on deaf ears. And I pray if there's someone here even today, even now, that they would seek after you. They would seek after your word. They would reach out to someone. They would speak to their pastor. They would speak to their elders. They would find someone to be accountable to. Lord, you can bring healing in that. We thank you for your word, even when it's hard to hear. We praise you and glorify your awesome name. Amen.